I'm going to ask you a question this morning. I'm a question asker. Um, so like when we go on mission trips um, and I have to kind of do the prep work for the trip, I'm always asking a lot of questions. And the wildfire is getting ready to go in, uh, in April. We're going to Chauvin, Louisiana, down to the bayou, deep in the bayou, which is really cool. A little four-square church down there needs some help. We're going to go down there and serve. So if you're a parent of a student in here and they haven't signed up, this week is your final deadline. That's my commercial for a wildfire. But I'm a question asker, so when I go and do things, I'm always asking a lot of questions because I like to, I guess I like to gather a little information. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. If you could describe yourself with just two words, what would they be? That's kind of a deep question. Some of you are, have eyebrows furrowed at me right now. I won't mention your name, Tony, but that was you. Um, some of you think funny. Some of you think deep. Some of you don't think. If you could describe yourself in two words, what would they be? Tim, have you been thinking about it? How do you describe yourself in two words, Tim? Sinner and saved. Okay. We can see that. <laughs> Bill, how would you describe yourself? His child. Okay. That's good. I know most of your names. So I would love just to call on you. Oh, you even pointed at somebody. Okay. If you could describe... No, I, I want us to really stop here for a second, and I want us to be able to answer this question. If you could describe yourself in two words, what would they be? Yeah, Kim. Needy and blessed. Wow. Anybody else? Yes. Compassionate and creative. Okay, yes. Caring connector. All right. Say that again. Okay, learning and serving. I ask this because it's, I think it's important for us to grasp and sometimes take kind of an inward look on who we are and what God's doing in us. And sometimes we're so busy with everything else we forget to, to look and see who am I and what, what am I supposed to be doing and what, what have I been called to do. But not in an unhealthy way where that's all we do is continually look at ourselves because that's just really unhealthy. But sometimes we err on the other side and we never look and we can never honestly answer that question, I don't know who I am. It's really important that we can walk out of this room today in like 20 minutes and say, I know who I am in Christ. I know who I was. See, that's where my mind went when I asked myself that question because I know who I was, but it's not who I am now. Because of Jesus. There's a profound moment in the Bible where God himself was asked this question. That God himself was asked to describe himself 
And he did, and God described himself in two words. He simply just said, I am. Profound when you think about it. It's heavy and deep when you really think about it. And it's all capitals because he's God. When he described himself, he said, I am. He didn't have to say, I am God. Now, Jesus will go on. We'll talk about that. But Jesus will go on, and he will, he will describe the attributes of God. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But he simply just said, I am if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. really want to encourage you to bring your Bibles on Sunday morning. I know I threatened last week. I'm not going to do slides someday. I think it's important that we know this book. Know it better than Google. Or if you're a Microsoft person, Bing. Does anybody use Bing? Okay. It's good to know. All right. I'll let Bill know. Exodus chapter 3. I want to give you a little Moses 101. Just during worship, the Lord just gave me that word about rocking a hard place, and it was about Moses. And I guess maybe it's just I've been looking at Moses a lot lately and uh, just thinking about him and what he was going through and what his process was with God. Um, so let me give you, uh, we're going to pick it up here in Exodus chapter 3. Um, at, at the moment, we're where we see in Scripture where God reveals himself and describes himself as I am. But I want to give you a little Moses 101. For those of you that don't know much about Moses, it's really important for me um, to share with you who he is. I don't want to assume that you know. And for those of you that are seasoned saints that have known Jesus for a long time, this is, a lot of it's going to be repeat. Um, it's okay. Because I want all of us in this room to be on the same page. And I want us to all know. So, Moses was born to Hebrew slaves in the country of Egypt. The Pharaoh had made this decree. It's a harsh decree because he felt threatened by the Israelites, the Hebrews. He felt threatened by them. And so his decree was when they have babies, keep the girls and kill the boys. That was the decree. Keep the girls and kill all the boys. And so that was what was happening. They would go to their hospital, and some of the boys were being taken, being, being put to death. Now, if they had the babies in camp with the midwives, the midwives feared the Lord, and so they would rescue the boys, and they would hide the boys. And because they did that, because they valued life, God blessed the midwives, and they had their own families. That's what you'll see in the scriptures if you read Exodus 2, and you kind of gear up towards where we're at today. So this decree was made, and so Moses' mom said, I cannot, I mean, guys, put yourself in that picture. Your leader of your country has told you, if you have a boy, you must put him to death. She couldn't do it. I mean, who could? And so she, the best thing she could do is, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devise this plan, and I'm going to make this basket, put all kinds of 
sticky stuff all over it so it won't sink. And I'm going to sneak down and I'm going to float him out to where the princess cleans up. And so that's what she does. She floats, she hides and she floats Moses down, baby Moses. And this princess finds her and God puts on her heart. What a precious boy. Now my mind starts thinking, are there multiple baskets floating down the river? I mean, there might have been. It doesn't say. Did she have the only idea of it? Or, or is this what they were doing? And just randomly, this one basket flows right next to the princess, and she chooses that one. I'm not really sure. But she does choose that one. She has compassion on, on this little boy, and she takes this boy, and she raises it as her own. Now, here's the cool part of that story, that she needed somebody to take care of that baby, to feed that baby. There was no formula back then. And so she says, I need to hire somebody. Well, she finds this person to help feed her baby, and guess who it is? It's the mom. It's the real mom. Only God. Only God can do that, right? So they're thinking Moses is about three years old or so before she finally has to say, okay, here he is. And, and the princess raises Moses as her own. And then we turn the page. And the Bible's crazy when you... Moses is about three years old. Then we turn the page, and now Moses is 40. <laughs> I mean, I was doing that. I was reading this week, and I was like reading, and I was like, okay, yeah. So, you know, God looked at Israel, and, you know, he was concerned, and Moses was, you know... And then you turn the page, and now he's 40 years old. And I was like, did somebody rip out a page in my Bible? Because I don't know, won't know what happened in those other times. But here's my deal. I guess I don't need to know. I know what I'm supposed to know. And Moses was three, and now he's 40. And that's where we pick up in this, in this, in this picture. Right before you turn the page, Moses has this revelation he finds who he really is. He finds that he is actually a Hebrew. And then he has this compassion like, man, my people are slaves and I'm free. You guys ever see somebody who is being treated unjustly and you want to do something about it? So Moses does something about it. He steps in. Um, he's... He sees an Egyptian um, slave driver mistreating um, one of his fellow countrymen, and so Moses kills him and buries him in the sand and then, and then leaves. The next day he comes out, he sees two of his own countrymen fighting, and he goes in there to break it up. And, and I guess news spread way big time back then, I guess. It just spread because... He goes to break up this fight, and they look at him and said, what are you going to do, kill us too, like you did the Egyptian? <laughs> and so that freaks Moses out, and it scares him to the point where he runs away. He runs away. He runs about 298 miles away. It'd be like us running to Stateline, Idaho. You guys ask yourself, we're, we're a Stateline, Idaho. 
Okay, think about that question. Where is state line Idaho? It's on the state line. It's about 20 miles past, well, it's Idaho, so it's about 20 miles past the state line, but it's there. It would take us about four and a half hours or so, depends on who's driving. If James is driving or Desiree is driving, about four and a half hours for James, about three and a half hours for Desiree. Hey, she's legal. She can put the blue lights on the top of the car, and she can go there really fast. Um, It's legal for her. But if you would walk that, if you would walk that distance, it would take you a while. It would take you four and a half days nonstop to walk that distance. It would take you over 13 days if you just walked eight hours a day. Can you imagine? Moses goes that far away. And back in the day, that's a long ways away. 13, 13 days away, yeah, that's pretty safe. Okay. And so Moses hangs out there. He ends up getting married, has a couple boys, and he's working. And that's where we turn the page to chapter 3. So we're going to read this. It's a long passage. I'm not going to apologize, but I was going to apologize. It's a long passage, but I want us to grasp what Moses is going through here. Because it brings us to the point where he experiences the I am. Now Moses was, we're in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That's also Mount Sinai, by the way. Okay? And currently in Saudi Arabia. Okay, right across from the Red Sea. Okay? So he's out there um, tending sheep. There was an angel of the Lord that appeared to him in the flames of fire from a bush. Moses saw. <laughs> Just grasp this picture. This is an amazing story here. Grasp the picture. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Can I just stop here and say, that God is calling Moses, and Moses has a great response. And he simply says, here I am. I really believe that God is calling you, some of you here. I believe he's calling all of us. I really do. That he's calling you. But if you're like me, sometimes you're like, (laughs) you know, But he's calling you. And we're supposed to do what Moses did. And we're supposed to acknowledge him and say, here I am. It's not easy to say, here I am, to God. It's not easy to say, here I am, to the I am. But that's what Moses says, here I am. Verse 5 Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father. I am the God of your father. 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into the good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He, he goes on to say, you're going to go out and see the sights. Okay, you'll get it here in a second. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of the Israelites, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. It's really hard to read the word when you're all teary-eyed. You guys will get used to that. Some, for some reason, when I read the word, I get teary-eyed at times. So Moses says, here I am. He hears the call of God. Here I am. And then God speaks and said, this is what I want you to do. And Moses said, yes, sir, here I go. (laughs) Some of you have read ahead. Some of you know what's coming. But, and it's capital, Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. I mean, come on, God, really? I'm 13 hours away, at least. I'm way out here in the middle of nowhere with nobody except for sheep. That's it. And you're out here calling me? This doesn't make sense. Some of you may be way out there. And to you, it doesn't make sense. Can I just say good? Because if you can make it happen, then it's you. God is going to take somebody way out in the middle of nowhere, and he's going to change, he's going to change the world. God's response to Moses' excuse In verse 12, I will be with you. Come on, isn't that good? Can you just put yourself in the same place, wherever you're at today, that God is saying to you, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God. You will worship me on this mountain. And Moses said, all right, here I go. Nope. And Moses said to God, well, suppose, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what am I supposed to tell them? That's actually a really good question. And God said to Moses in verse 14, notice it's all caps, if you're reading along. I think it's all caps up there. Nope, it's not. And whoever typed that up messed up. 
That was me. <laughs> well, my Bible right here is all caps. Is it all caps in yours? Yeah. All right, there we go. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, if we continue reading in this story, Moses will have, he'll go on for another couple chapters of suppose, suppose this, but this, well, what if? And God just continues to reassure him to the point where God gets really frustrated and says, actually, God's anger burned against Moses. Because basically, Moses was refusing to do what God wanted him to do. And so God says, all right, you can have your brother help you. But was that an ideal situation? No, it was not ideal. Why? It wasn't what God wanted. Moses refused in that moment to do what God wanted him to do. And so God said, well, I'm going to make it happen, but you're going to suffer for it. And he will. I mean, when Moses is up visiting God, Aaron's down here doing some pretty crazy stuff. I wonder if Moses would have said, okay, God, let's go, if that other stuff would have happened, right? So God meets Moses exactly where he's at. God prepares Moses to do exactly what he needs to do. At that point, we turn the page, and how old is Moses when he goes back to start talking to Pharaoh? Moses is 80 years old. He's a baby floating in, in one chapter, he's a baby floating in the in the Nile River, raised for about three years with his real mom, and then he's raised up in the ways of the Egyptians, and in Acts chapter 7, says that he was skilled in everything he did, even in speech and communication, and what was Moses, one of Moses' biggest arguments against God? I don't talk too well. Actually, he probably says, I don't talk too good. And yet, Acts chapter 7 says Moses was trained up well, and he could speak. It was, he was eloquent when he spoke. But man, we'll just make up all kinds of excuses, right? God is calling us to do unbelievable things that we can't even think or imagine. And we do have to come to the point where we say, let's go. Because people's lives depend on it. I had somebody tell me this week, man, I came in the other day, and uh, man, you looked really serious. <laughs> I'm not always a very serious guy, if you know me very well. And I said, yeah, I was, we were talking about people's eternal souls, and that they're dying and going to hell without Jesus. And that's a pretty serious topic, and so I wasn't really smiling during that time. Because my heart, our hearts were heavy in that moment. It's like an impossible task, but we have to say, yes, God, let's go so people know Jesus. That's what it comes down to. Our ministry here at RCC is a ministry of reconciliation, inviting people to know Jesus again or for the very first time. Jesus himself would use these same type of proclamations in the New Testament when Jesus, there's two instances where he refers to himself as I am in, in, in similar verbiage. One of the instances 
is when he's in the temple and he's being questioned. It was earlier in the day where the woman was brought out who was caught in adultery. It's interesting that they didn't bring the man out. They just brought the woman, and they were going to kill her because according to the law, that was legal for them to do. And Jesus that, you know, lines him up, and he draws the line, and, you know, he's doing all the stuff in the sand that I would love. Dana has a great story of maybe what is written in the sand. I would love to know what that was, but he says, if, you've, if you're without sin, go for it. And they all drop the stones and walk away, and he forgives her, but tells her what? Hey, keep sinning? No, he tells her, stop sinning. Sin no more. I'm going to change your life. It's right after that moment they begin questioning him, what authority do you have to forgive sin? And they accuse Jesus as being demon-possessed. This is the established church. We're in John chapter 8. The established church and the leadership of the established church of the day accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed and from Samaria. And so if you know the whole story how the Israelites, the Jewish people, what, what they thought of Sumerians, that is the biggest slander you could have towards somebody. So they accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed and a foreigner who they hate. And Jesus' response is, I'm not demon-possessed. And he goes on to tell them, uh, a little bit, and they start questioning his authority, and he says this statement, before Abraham, because they're all talking about Abraham, before Abraham was, Jesus' statement is, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I'll just say there is a little controversy, because it's not the same exact verbiage used back in Exodus chapter 3. And so us theologians, we, we start thinking through and like, well, did Jesus really claim to be God here? I'm not really sure. Well, let me just say this. They knew exactly what he was claiming. Why? Because those same rocks they, put, they had dropped on the ground to kill the woman before, they picked him back up and they were going to stone him because that was blasphemy. They were going to kill Jesus on the spot because he was claiming right there in the temple that he was God. But yet somehow, Jesus just walks right through them, like disappears. I love this. I love magic. <laughs> you know, the people that can say, see, I got a coin. I don't know how they do it. I love it. I love magic. Somehow Jesus just walks right through them. And they don't even see him. That's one instance. The other instance, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is when, I mean, it's the saddest part of the Bible is when Jesus is so suffering emotionally and spiritually. He's in the garden right before that he's arrested. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows like one of his best friends is going to betray him. And they come to arrest him and Judas is right there. And Jesus asks, who are you looking for? Jesus is going to help him. Who are you looking for? And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And what was Jesus' response? He said, it is I. Same. 
And how did they respond to when he revealed himself as God in that moment? How did the soldiers who are carrying shields, torches, swords, how do they respond? The Bible says that they fall over. They literally, when Jesus said, it is I, they just went, all of them just fall down. It's like, just like Legos crashing, dominoes crashing to the ground. Now, Jesus had a great opportunity right there to escape again, but he doesn't. He stands there and waits for them to get up and then to arrest him. Those are the two instances that we see that are really similar to Exodus chapter 3 when God reveals himself to Moses and says, I am, I am sending you. I am, I am sending you. Over the next like seven weeks, we're going to look at the seven declarations, the seven statements that Jesus makes about who he is. He's going to take the I am, and he's going to add an attribute of God. It's going to be fascinating. I'm, I'm just telling you, it's terrifying as I look ahead. And I start looking at, wow, Jesus, you really revealed who you are as Father God, to us as your kids. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I'm just going to tell you, that's going to be a hard one. So Dana, Jason, Adrian, Bakhtiar, that might be one of yours. <laughs> that's a hard one because we all want it to be easy. We want everybody to know God, and that is my heart. I want everybody in this room, man, I want you to be with me in heaven. I saw somebody, once in a while, my wife would just laugh. It, it's 11 o'clock at night. I'm like almost out, and she just starts cackling. She's on Facebook, and she's reading all the memes. And one that Tim Lash posted last night. All my friends in heaven that have gone before me are, are wondering if I'm going to make it. I'm getting so old, I'm wondering if I'm going to make it to heaven. I thought that was classic. This is a tough one. Because Jesus makes the claim. And we'll study it in three weeks. I might be on vacation. That if we want to go to heaven, it's only through him. He is the gate. Easy one. I am the good shepherd. <clears throat> kind of easy. Because shepherds have these big sticks. <laughs> I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. And I am the resurrection and the life. Here are my three hopes as we study these as a church. I don't want us just to study these and, and build up our knowledge. What I want us to do as a church, I want to study these so it builds up our hearts and it builds up our spirits. And so we can let people know when we see somebody struggling that Jesus is all they need because he's their bread. He is all they need. In the midst of darkness, I don't know about you, but it's pretty dark out there. Well, where do we see the light? Jesus is the light. 
and so on. My hope is that, that we'll do this, that it will strengthen us. And my hope is that it will convict us. But also my hope is that it would empower us to live this life for Jesus, to live our lives daily for him and also live our lives daily with him. Can I ask you to stand with me this morning? It is important to know who we are in Christ. I want you to think about that question this week. If you could describe yourself in two words, what would they be? Maybe we have to add a few words to it, but can I encourage you to say, I am the great I am's. It really doesn't matter your physical stature. Doesn't ma- none of that matters. It doesn't matter your social stature. It really matters who your God is. And that he is good. And he's for you. He's not against you. That he is calling you. It might not be a burning bush. But he is calling you. And so, let's start off like Moses started off and simply say, here I am. But then, unlike Moses, can we just say, God, here I am. And then once he tells us, let's be the ones to say, God, let's go. Because God is going to be with us. Amen? Amen. So, Jesus, as you lead us, as you call us, God, may our hearts respond to you with, here I am. And would our actions follow with, here I go. And I'm gonna, we're going to follow you, Jesus. And so we ask, would you lead us? Would you lead us as a church? Would you lead us as individuals to make a difference in our community, the communities that you have placed us in? We really want people to know Jesus. Help us to see the opportunities And then help us to use our voices. Help us to be people of grace, people of mercy. In your name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thank you so much for coming on a Sunday morning. Um, Be careful the chainsaws across the street. I've been hearing those things howl all all service. And uh, if you're going to the auction, look forward to seeing you tonight. Not too late to buy a ticket. Um, So we'll see you next Sunday.